Okay, good morning. Morning, Michael. So today's lesson uh, I've entitled Beware of the Wiles of the Devil, which are clever schemes used by Satan to ensnare us. If you turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 3, we're going to look at the Offendness of the devil. Offend is someone who is extremely cruel or wicked. So the offendedness of the devil. In Genesis 3 1, it says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field. Uh, some translations say subtle. Others say deceitful. So we get the idea of this fiendish being. Very subtle, very crafty, very deceitful in how he goes about his business. And so Paul, the apostle, said to the Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians 2.11, that we are not ignorant of his schemes. Don't be ignorant of Satan's schemes and how he works. Here we see in Genesis 3 that he said to the woman, As far as we know, Eve was minding her own business when the voice of a stranger, as opposed to the voice of God, placed doubt in her about God and what he said. The lesson to learn is the flaw in doubting God's word. Reminds me of another example if you turn to 1 Kings chapter 13. First Kings 13 and we'll start in verse 14. So he went after the man of God and found him sitting under an oak and he said to him are you the man of God who came from Judah and he said I am you're probably all familiar with this passage this was a prophet who went on a mission for the Lord now he's sitting under the tree getting ready to go back and this other man who was a prophet approached him and he's having this conversation and he said to the prophet, Come home with me and eat bread. He said, I cannot return with you, nor go with you, nor will I eat bread or drink water with you in this place. For a command came to me by the word of the Lord, You shall eat no bread nor drink water there. Do not return by going the way which you came. And he said to him, I also am a prophet like you. And an angel spoke to me by the word of the Lord, saying, Bring him back with you to your house, that he may eat bread and drink water. But he lied to him. So he went back with him, and he ate bread in his house and drank water. Now it came about, as they were sitting down at the table, that the word of the Lord came to the prophet who had brought him back. And he cried to the man of God who came from Judah, saying, Thus says the Lord, because you have disobeyed the command of the Lord 
and have not observed the commandment which the Lord your God commanded you, but you have returned and eaten bread and drunk water in the place of which he said to you, Eat no bread and drink no water. Your body shall not come to the grave of your fathers. And it came about after he had eaten bread, after he had done drunk, that he saddled the donkey for him, for the prophet whom he had brought back. Now when he had gone, a lion met him on the way and killed him. And his body was thrown on the road with the donkey standing beside it. The lion also was standing beside the body. So again, this man of God was sitting under the tree minding his own business much like Eve was. But like Eve, he was been tested. If you look in 1 Peter chapter 5, in verse 8, it says, Be of sober spirit, be not, or rather be on the alert, because your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. We just looked at the physical example of the lion devouring someone on the road. And now Peter says, beware of the spiritual lion that seeks to destroy you the spiritual reality of what we've seen happen on the road of being devoured. Because the prophet thought that the other prophet who came and spoke to him was a comrade, he let his guard down. If you turn to Ephesians chapter 5, And uh, verse 15. We are told to be careful how you walk. Not as unwise men, but as wise. We're told to walk circumspectly. Careful to consider all circumstances. And all possible consequences. Circumspectly is to look all around, to be aware of what is going on. Because we are dealing with a deceitful enemy. Very crafty. If you turn to Genesis 39... And uh, we're going to pick up in verse 6, the bottom part of verse 6, Genesis 39, 6. And we're going to read all the way through 20. Genesis 39, starting in 6. So we see now Joseph 
was handsome in form and appearance. And it came about after these events that his master's wife looked with desire at Joseph, and she said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, with me here my master does not concern himself with anything in the house, and he has put all that he owns in my charge. There is no one greater in this house than I, and he has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do this great evil and sin against God? As she spoke to Joseph day after day, he did not listen to her to lie beside her or be with her. Now it happened one day that he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the household were there inside. She caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and fled and went outside. When she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled outside, she called to the men of the household and said to them, See, he has brought in a Hebrew to us to make sport of us. He came in to me to lie with me, and I screamed. When he heard that I raised my voice and screamed, he left his garment beside me and fled and went outside. So she left his garment beside her until his master came home. Then she spoke to him with these words, The Hebrew slave whom you brought to us came in to me to make sport of me. And as I raised my voice and screamed, he left his garment beside me and fled outside. Now when his master heard the words of his wife, which she spoke to him saying, This is what your slave did to me, his anger burned. So Joseph's master took him and put him into jail, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in jail. If we're not alert, even our best intentions can be turned into opportunity for a ruthless enemy. He fled and got him out. It's been said... The best way out of fornication is with your hat. Grab it and run. That can be just, it can look like just plain avoiding someone. Or in your workplace, you may need to change shifts to get away. Whatever, grab your hat and run. Like Eve and like the prophet. Joseph is being tested. We read of Potiphar that his anger burned, and I might add, rightly so. There's two kinds of jealousy talked about in the Bible. There's a fleshly jealousy where Satan has you believing a falsehood and getting you worked up in your emotions, which is destructive. There's also a godly jealousy. And this is what Potiphar had. A godly jealousy is just, but it can, and it can be destructive as well. And he should have had a godly jealousy because there was something serious going on with his wife. 
It wasn't Joseph. It was his wife. The problem was that Potiphar did not really understand the depth of Joseph's integrity. If he did, he would have knew the issue was his wife. If someone told me that Steve was having an affair with one of the sisters, I wouldn't believe it for a second. I wouldn't even give it a second thought. You know why? Because I know his integrity. I know who he is. That's why in 1 Timothy 5.19, we're told not to receive a railing accusation against an elder except in the mouth of two or three witnesses. Because they have those qualifications because of their integrity. And so we give no place to Satan by listening to rumors. If you turn again to Genesis 3, you know, dealing with sin is never fun. So let's look at Adam and Eve again as they try to deal with their sin. Verse 8. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? Can you imagine if they decided not to confess their sin to God and they just come walking out with their leaves on? You think God would know? Uh, what do you got them leaves on for? Shame. They were ashamed now that they were naked. Let's look at Proverbs 28. 13 and 14. Proverbs 28. It says, He who but he who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion. How blessed is the man who fears always, but he who hardens his heart will fall into calamity. It speaks for itself. James chapter 5. James 5 and uh, verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another, pray for one another, so that you may be healed. The effectual prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. It says that Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the earth 
for the space of three years and six months. Then he prayed again, and the sky poured rain, and the earth produced its fruit. My brethren, if any among you strays from the truth, let one turn him back. Let him know that he who turns a sinner from the air of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sin. Confess your sins one to another. Pray one for another. Dealing with sin is not fun. It's nothing you want to go through. Better not to sin. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and announced to you, that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him, and yet we walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Repenting and confessing before others' sins you have committed is no fun. Better not to sin. We're going to look for a minute at the fallacy of following our emotions. If you go to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, and we'll look at the first five verses. 2 Corinthians 10, 1. Now I, now I, Paul, myself urge you by the meekness and the gentleness of Christ, I who am meek when face to face with you, but bold toward you when absent. I ask that when I am present, I need not be bold with the confidence with which I propose to be courageous against some, who regard us as if we walked according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Paul here is speaking of spiritual warfare. It's where the high ground the enemy is trying to capture. And that is the stronghold of your mind. The enemy is trying to capture the stronghold of your mind. He wants to take the high ground. The battle is made up of ideas, thoughts, imaginations of your heart. So we need to stop singing, Jesus is just all right with me, and me and Jesus got a good thing going. We need to realize that we're in a war. And we have a ruthless enemy that will stop at nothing in his deception 
to deceive us and destroy us. Just like the church in the wilderness, we're at war. If Satan can take captive your imagination, he will use it for spiritual harassment to distract you. Satan always wants to distract us off the things of God and harass us in your imagination. When you allow your imagination to run with the movie that he's playing to you, then we are cooperating with a destructive influence that's designed to kill you. Verse 7, we read, Paul says, You are looking at things as they are outwardly. If anyone is confident in himself that he is Christ, let him consider this again within himself, that just as he is Christ, so also are we. Paul realizes they're looking at him. You read the context here, they're accusing him. And Paul knows it. He says, one, he was one who they looked to for spiritual guidance. But Satan, through the falsehood, the stronghold of falsehood, had caused them to doubt Paul. And Paul is telling them that this persuasion is not of God, but of the enemy. We're witnessing here what has been from the beginning been a part of Satan's playbook. To cause dissension in the kingdom of God, knowing that a kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. If you turn to Philippians chapter 4 in verse 8 again Paul says finally brother whatever is true whatever is honorable whatever is right whatever is pure whatever is lovely whatever is good repute if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise Dwell on these things. The ideas we exalt, that is, that we give place to in our mind, should be in harmony with God's perspective right here. Think on these things. Don't let Satan play the movie and distract you and deceive you with unholy things. This is to bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Bring every thought into obedience to Christ. Think on these things that are lovely and pure and holy. Don't let him work on your emotions and drag you down. The stronghold of imagination is made up of arguments, thoughts, reasonings of Satan and the casting down of these strongholds 
is where the battle of the mind is won or lost. These are so serious that they require help from Zion, which is above. Our enemy is fierce, and we need help to defeat him. So we must be engaged with prayer, with singing spiritual songs of deliverance. And if there is any sin, to be repented and confessed. We're talking about the land of the giants, which must be defeated. Only then can we have the peace that passes understanding. Satan wants to mess with your peace. He wants to distract you. He wants to deceive you. He wants to work on your emotions to destroy you. So we'll close with these final few thoughts on the contagiousness of the nature of sin and of righteousness. If you look in 1 John chapter 2, And we'll read verse 29. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone also who practices righteousness is born of him. Chapter 3, starting in verse 4. Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness. And sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins. And in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him sins. No one who sins has seen him or knows him. Little children, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose to destroy the works of the devil. No one who is born of God practices sin because his seed abides in him and cannot sin because he is born of God. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. Jesus said in Luke 6 that for... There is no good tree which produces bad fruit. Nor, on the other hand, a bad tree which produces good fruit. Thus, by the fruit, you will know them. A righteous man practices righteousness. Watch and see what he does. And a sinner practices sin. Watch and see what he does. So Jesus said, by their fruit, you will know them, a good tree from a bad tree. And let's go to Ephesians 6 in closing. In Ephesians 6, verse, starting in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God 
so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, in addition to all taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation, which we learn in Thessalonians is the hope we have, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, with all prayer and petition, you see, we must go to heavenly Zion for help. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. We must put on the full armor of God. The church is at war. We are fighting spiritual forces of wickedness. Satan is a great deceiver. Beware of the flaming arrows of deception. Brethren, be not unwise, but be wise to the schemes of the devil. 